The fifth lesson travels 400 years from the reading of Micah's prophecy. And the Greek doctor who traveled with the Apostle Paul, the beloved physician Luke, records this remarkable event. Luke, the first chapter, together as God's people, let's read our fifth lesson together aloud. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words, and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God, for nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord. Before we go on with the next lesson, we need to pause a bit and look at Mary. If you're visiting, we have been looking at a series of the characters of Christmas. The different character qualities of the people that God used. We saw that Joseph was Sadiq, he was righteous. We saw that very much last week, a bad side, Herod, was so coveting. He was paranoid of anybody else. You know, this time of the year, is a lot of words that explain the season. But the one word I believe that describes Mary is humbleness. Mary was in a remarkable young lady. Remember, she is no doubt a teenager at this time. And I remind you, Jesus had a Jewish mother. We always think she's Italian, but no, she was Jewish. And she grew up in this young lady. She had no idea what was going on. But scripture said in the fullness of time. When we get before the Lord, who do you think the Lord will reward? The real famous? The real influential? The people who have done great things? I don't know if you've heard or not about medical heaven. Three gentlemen were waiting to get in, and the first one came up to the angel, and the angel said, well, what have you done? And he said, well, I helped pioneer antibiotics and saved many lives. And the angel said, come on in, we have a great place for you. Next gentleman, he said, what did you do? He said, well, I helped invent the CAT scan, and it saw all these great insides of people, and it helped them out. And the angel said, well, wonderful, we have a place for you. Third gentleman stepped up, and he said, what did you do? He said, well, I helped invent HMOs. And it helped many, many people have... Insurance when they never could have before. And the angel said, come on in, we have a great place for you. But you can only stay two days. (laughs) You know, this time of the year, we always have this sense of excitement stuff, but it just washes away in the stuff of life. Humbleness is a remarkable trait. 
And Bel Air, if God could create anything in this, I pray it's humbleness. Humbleness is the opposite of pride. And pride, by the way, is the flip side of hating yourself. If you loathe yourself and you're always punishing yourself for not living up to the standards that you think you can achieve, that's pride. That's not humbleness. Humbleness has nothing about being down on yourself. Humbleness like Mary. She didn't say, well, I'm just a worm and I don't deserve this. The angel would have said, no kidding, Sherlock. Of course you're not deserving of this. Humbleness is simply knowing who you are and knowing who God is and bringing those two things together. You know, God used the humble people when he invaded this planet the first time in the birth of his son. It was those that we've seen that nobody knew about that God showed himself to. Jesus in his ministry, who did he use? He used people nobody would have heard of. The fishermen, the blue-collar workers, the tax collectors. He loves to use the humble because we're not in the way of him. And you know, as we approach the return of the Lord, Advent is not just about that Christ was born and he's gone. Either Jesus is coming back physically someday, or you and I are the biggest suckers of all time. He physically ascended to heaven and he will come back. And who knows when it will be. But I can promise you this, as we grow closer to his return, you watch who God uses. It will not be the famous or the influential or the wealthy. It will be women and men who are humble. Humble enough not to have to prove themselves to some parents' voices or some standards from some ego that's overinflated. Or even be impressed by the church. The church isn't here to judge you. God wants those that can find themselves. There will be a man, we don't have really time to look at it this morning, who is called the Antichrist, the beast. And everybody throughout history has been trying to label him. I've met a few people that I thought qualified for this. <laughs> and I've been called that in a couple of letters before. But he will be a man that will stand and someday in the Holy of Holies and the epitome of evil will say, I am not like God, I am God. Worship me. And it says the whole world will. Pride is behind the sin that came into the universe. The serpent, in the first reading that care led us through, didn't bring sin into the world. The serpent brought temptation. Sin came, came when man and woman were not content and they rebelled against God. But it was pride who made Satan, which means the accuser, who is next to God in glory, say, this is not enough. I will ascend to the Most High. I will make my throne like Him. And how He was cast down. Humbleness is the antidote to this. And there is no life that is more freeing than that. You know, so many of us run through our lives trying to find, we've got this hole in our heart. And we think if we get enough awards, get a good enough grades, enough job, have trophy. You know, it used to be trophy cars. Do you know what they say it is in this coming decade? I'm serious, I was reading this. Trophy families. What does that mean? I have no idea. Maybe they just stand there and don't say anything. That would be kind of neat, I don't know. But the idea that somehow if we just get enough, and God says, you know, I offer so much to you, and you trade it away for all this schlock of the world. I have a friend whose daughter, when she was little, he wanted her to stay pure for her wedding day and as a little grade schooler he gave her a little ring it was a little turquoise thing and said honey i want you to keep this this is between you and me and god and whoever your future husband is 
And she'd always say, you know, Daddy, I don't want to be married because all the boys at, you know, the playground, they have cooties, you know. And he'd say, that, just keep this for that day. And she went through junior high and high school and college, make a long story short. She finally met the love of her life. He was a, a poorer guy, and she fell in love, and he said, that's wonderful. And she came home one day, and she said, we're going to be married. And the father said, I thought so, and I've been waiting for this day. And he said, I want you to give me that ring back. And she said, Daddy, are you kidding? You'd break my heart. He'd say, I want you to give me that ring back. And so she handed it to him, and out of his pocket, he took a two-carat diamond and gave it to her in exchange. And she said, I'll trade. (laughs) He knew that they could never afford a ring. And you know, God gives to us these things on this planet. Great friends and cars and clothes and achievements. And that's wonderful. But he says, give it to me. And we say, what? And he says, all of it. You give me your ambitions. And you give me your dreams. You give me your money that I have loaned to you. You give me your talent and all of your heart. And I'll make an exchange. And we think, I don't know. And it scares us. But humbleness, what Mary did, do you see what she said? You just read it. She said, here am I, your servant. Let it be according to your word. Do you know Mary had to go back? Do you know how hard it is? She had to go back to a town that would reject her. She had to go tell her fiancé she was going to be pregnant by God, like that one was going to go over. (laughs) Do you know the penalty we've talked about? At best, she would have been ostracized for life, driven out. At worst, she would have been stoned to death. She has no idea what's going on, and yet in humbleness she says, I take your word. You think Mary ever regretted that? Do you think raising Jesus so different than her other boys and daughters? Do you think then the ministry started and people started to say, here's the Messiah, and it went from bad to worse, and they started to hate and spit upon him in a mockery of a child trial, and she saw her boy... Tortured to death before her eyes. And his cold body laid into a tomb. And three days later he stepped out and she saw him in his ascension. When you and I get to meet Mary and we ask her, do you ever regret it? Of course she'll say no. And Bel Air, I believe the only regrets we would ever have is when we refuse to let God be God. Amen? Amen. He's got an incredible...